Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. to come together for our pastor's prayer this morning. Would you join with me as I just pray out loud? I'm going to pray, dear Heavenly Father, how magnificent is your name above all the earth. Your glory fills the skies. And in you we have our being and our existence is due to your goodness and eternal mercy. We come to proclaim your glory and to submit to the Lordship of Christ and to be encouraged by your holy word. And we come together and ask that you may strengthen us by your Holy Spirit this morning. Lift up our stooping shoulders and weakened knees and bind the hurts and pains that have been inflicted on us due to sin and disobedience in our life. And may we count it all joy when we face various kinds of trials and tribulations. And may our voices join together with all the saints before us in declaring your great goodness. Forgive us of our sin and the proud hearts that rise up against your commands and person. Thank you for hearing our cry of confession and repentance. Restore us through the power of the Spirit and fill us with the joy that comes from salvation. If there are any here this morning who are wandering from the truth or weak from the battle against sin, we ask for a double portion of grace that they may be strengthened and brought back into the fold. Let us hold fast to the truth of the gospel, and Father, may we then be compelled to share it boldly with others. And it is by the works of Christ that we pray this morning, and all God's people said, Amen. The power of community love. We come to the end of James chapter 5, 19 through 20, the end of the whole letter. We'll be doing that this morning. Turn to that, if you would, please, as we just begin to pray the group slowly enters the room. It's been a long week. Their energy is zapped from working in the fields and in the marketplace and even at home. And With downcast faces, they avoid making eye contact as they search for a place to sit. After everyone is, 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 is in there, the elder, the pastor, stands and tells the group that they have received a letter from James the Elder in Jerusalem. Some begin to cry. A few straighten up a little bit, set a little bit straighter with expectation, while others anxiously wring their hands as they wait for the letter to be read. To some, this letter is overdue and a welcome respite from the drudgery of just surviving. To another small group, it's an unwelcome intrusion into their life and to their assembly, while to another group is a surprise that someone such as James would even remember them and write to them. See, life has been difficult since they left Jerusalem and their homeland. Hoping to escape persecution for the belief that Jesus was the Messiah, they found themselves now in the midst of a hostile environment facing all types of persecution that included economic and social oppression, isolation, as well as battling sin and problems in their own assembly. 
With anticipation, they listen as the letter of James is read to the entire community. They hear words of encouragement, words of rebuke, and words of challenge. The question is what would their response be to the words of James? It takes a village, wrote Hillary Clinton. In her book of the same name, she focuses on the impact individuals and groups outside the family have, for better or for worse, on a child's well-being and advocates a society which meets all of a child's needs. Though you and I may have some disagreements with Mrs. Clinton, the concept of living life together is biblical. One theologian has counted at least 65 commands that refer to the one another's in the scriptures, including to serve, accept, forgive, greet, bear with, be devoted to, honor, teach, submit, and to encourage one another. What is clear from scripture is that no believer is an island to themselves. Their Christian walk is not private. We are called to live a life in community and to watch over each other, even to provoke one another to good works. And James ends his letter to the Jewish believers with this last thought. And let's read that last two verses, 19 and 20 of James 5, where he ends his letter by writing, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Father, I pray that you'd open up our hearts as we just now come to close out this wonderful letter of James, 2,000 probably years old now. Lord, it spoke to a, to a generation, to an assembly, to a group of, of Jewish believers, Lord, who maybe felt abandoned because of their faith, dispersed from their home because of persecution, only to find the fire even deeper and hotter where they were. Lord, let our hearts be able to transfer or transess that time and see, Lord, just as their life is, so is our life. So is their times, so is ours. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us as we close out this letter. There are very important words and important command for us to hear, to listen to, and to respond. And so may your spirit have free reign, and Father, have our heart listened and respond accordingly as you have planned. We pray this in Son's name. Amen. As we look at this passage, we see that James is concerned about those who profess Christ who have confessed that Jesus is Lord, but are now straying from the truth. Instead of remaining steadfast or finding joy in trials and waiting patiently for the Lord's return, they are wandering back into their old habits and lifestyles and maybe even beliefs. We all know of people who at one time confessed Christ, but then abandoned all attempts to truly following His commands, do we not? It's not that they no longer call themselves Christians. They maintain that they're Christians. They maintain that their confession and their profession is true and genuine, but their walk does not match their talk. 
James has already warned against this in his warnings about faith and works, the connection between faith and works. You must have both. I remember as a young man in church, I grew up in, uh, as I grew up, there was a young adult that made a profession of faith. I was probably, I was probably maybe middle school, somewhere around there, and he was a young adult, probably in his mid-20s. He was so excited, and he took every opportunity to give testimony about what Christ had done and was doing in his life. It was remarkable to see the change and the, and the excitement that he brought to every service. He was always bringing friends with him to church, and he was very vocal during the messages and during the prayer time. It was in, it was, you'd hear him, amen, and hallelujah, and preach that again, and he would just go on and on during the service. He really brought an excitement and an energy level that, I was, that was really infectious to many. However, after about six to eight months, his enthusiasm began to wane, as did his attendance. It wasn't long before he never darkened the door again. I never did find out why he left or what became of him, but I still remember him to this day. But I do also remember that it made a big impression on me to the point that I was worried about my faith. For I was nowhere as passionate or vocal about my faith as he was. And if he faltered, could I falter also? Also, that's the question, if I left, would anyone reach out to me? Would I be missed, or would I just be another wounded soldier or someone who just left the church? I don't know if you ever felt that way, but that's a terrible, terrible feeling. You may have experienced that with people in your churches and before, but unfortunately it happens way too often. Well, here James writes to inform the church that they are responsible to watch over each other. He encourages them to go after those that are wandering in danger of leaving the faith. The word wanders is the Greek word palano, meaning any deviation from the truth, big or small, major or minor, intentional or not. It means to deceive or to lead astray. Paul uses this word to describe how you and I were before we actually met and came to Jesus in Titus chapter 3 where he writes, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing away our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In other words, James is saying, this is what you're going back to. You're, you're being a wanderer. You're li- being led astray. Just to define a few other words that we see in that passage, James uses that word sinner and the phrase, we will save his soul from death in verse 20, to suggest that this wanderer is not a true Christian. He is un- actually unregenerate. He's not a true Christian. He's actually in danger of apostasy. Apostasy is to walk away from a faith that was once professed. So James here is writing to believers that are secure in their faith and living out their confession to reach out to those that profess the faith in Christ but are not now living out their confession. James also makes the connection that a Christian plays a part in bringing them back to repentance and salvation as he says that it will cover a multitude of sins. Elsewhere in Scripture, we'll find the same call to action and connection. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Ezekiel chapter 3, 17 through 21. 
Ezekiel, that's in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel was a prophet of God who went with the children of Israel to Babylon as they were also dispersed from their homeland and found themselves in an environment entirely different. Ezekiel was the prophet to those children of Israel. And look at Ezekiel chapter 3 and look at verse 17. He says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall what? Die for his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Why? Because you heard my word, and you did not warn them. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you shall have delivered your soul. Look at verse 20. For he says again, If a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. So what we see here is you and I have a responsibility for the lives of those around us. We are not Christian lone wolves out there that are just walking to the beat of our own drummer. Our Christian life is personal, but it is not private. As we're called to do life together. And we're on the buddy system, all holding that rope as we walk across the road. And once we begin to let see our hands stray from that rope and walk away, it just as any kindergarten teacher would go back and get that child, we're to do that and bring that child back. Instead, what we're finding here is people are watching them stray and watch that person just drift off back into condemnation. You may ask, well, why is this a problem? Let everybody do what they want to do. We're a tolerant society. But what we found in James' letter is that correct doctrine cannot be separated from correct behaviors. You see, we have this misconception that if I just say a prayer or if I just say I believe in Jesus, I can live whatever way I want and Jesus will just forgive me of all my sins and that's fine. But what we see here, that's not true. You can believe all the right doctrines, but if your living is not up to the par, you find yourself lost. That's what the faith and works, the connection. Correct doctrine cannot be separated from correct behaviors. It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus or that I've accepted Jesus as my Savior if your lifestyle denies the very commands of Christ. In 1 John 1.6, John says, if we, see, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Galatians tells us, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
Paul writes this, this persuasion is not from God or the one who calls you. And Jesus himself said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. But whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So sitting here among us today may be someone who says, I've said that prayer. I've accepted Jesus in my heart. They may say, I believe the Bible. I believe his commands. Yet their lifestyle and their choices say otherwise. And so we as a church, when we come together, baptism is a time where we as a church hear your testimony of faith and we say, amen, we agree. And then we invite you into church membership in which we say, now we're going to covenant together. We're going to hold on to the rope together as we do life and walk the Christian life. That's what we need is people to walk alongside us. Professor Douglas Moo writes, Douglas Moo writes, just in case you didn't think his name was Moo writes, it's Moo, he writes <laughs> what the mind thinks. And the funny things are just happening in my head all the time. It's confusing, it's frustrating, and it's fun all at the same time. What the mind thinks and the mouth confesses the body must do. He says, anything less is worldly, sinful, and double-mindedness. And we've already seen James's thoughts on those that are double-minded, is it not? He says they're unstable in all their ways. And some of you may be walking through this door straight ramrod as a sergeant in the Marines, but inside, you're just wavering all over the place. You ever feel like that? The problem for someone who is guilty of apostasy, the reason why Paul writes this, the reason why we're to reach to those who are struggling with this is because those who are guilty of apostasy is death. James writes that the one who brings the, wandering, the wanderer back will save his soul from death. And that's not speaking of the one who reaches out, but the one who he's reaching to. And it says, and it will cover a multitude of sin. Death here refers to spiritual death, eternal condemnation, as he wrote earlier when he wrote, desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. So when we live out and, and drink in and, and give in to our desires, he says it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown brings forth, anyone want to help me? Death, thank you. James probably had Psalms 5 verse 10 in mind. When he writes, make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgression, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. That's what David had to say. You may say, well, what's apostasy? How do I know if someone has apostatized? How do I know if someone is wandering from the truth? How do I know if their profession of faith is not real. The answer is simple. The evidence of apostasy is found in 1 John 2.19 when he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. When that gentleman 
that I grew up with, when he shared his enthusiasm, people's hearts were stirred, people were excited, but when he walked away, he apostized. He was not of the church. In the end, as powerful as his words might have seemed, as much as they stirred the soul, they were powerless of his faith. They did him no eternal good. Not that his words may not have had any value to someone else, for God can even use the wicked. But in the end, it did him no good. However, James encourages the believers to reach out in order to direct them back to God. Knowing what sin does and leads to. In other words, sin does what? It destroys the life and lives of those around them. It leads to death, eternal condemnation. Knowing that, you and I as Christians ought to be reaching out to our brothers and sisters that are in danger of wandering away. It should compel us to loving action. A Christian cares for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, I wish that we could get that. James, we must have wrote this through the power of the Holy Spirit because that was what was missing in that church. There were sins of speech. There were sins of hurting each other economically. There were all sorts of things going on. And they were probably seeing others who were so distracted or frustrated or just said, you know what, I'm just walking away. There's no way that I can continue following Christ." Sadly, what we have here, especially in this American culture, is we can just say we're Christians and walk away. For who are you to tell me I'm not a Christian? Who are you to tell me my profession of faith is not true? And you're right. All I have is the Word of God. And here's what the Word of God says. He who loves me does my commandments. Isn't that what Jesus told His disciples? He says, they'll know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And unfortunately, the church of God has not loved as Christ loved. For Christ went looking for his children. And we're more than willing to allow people to come in and out of our lives and out of our assembly. Never once thinking, you know what, they've been gone three weeks. I wonder what's going on in their life. Or just get involved in someone and say, hey, how is life going for you? Where are you struggling at in your life? What is lacking? Let me supply what is lacking in your faith. In what way are you not trusting God's Word? In what way is God's Word not satisfying to you? And then to reach out and help that person in their walk. The goal of the Christian life and evangelism is not to get someone to say, hey, a prayer, or to say, yeah, I accept Christ, or to put another notch in our gospel gun, but to make disciples. And if we can grab that and see that disciple is a lifelong journey with one another. You may ask, well, how do I know if that person is truly saved? How do we know or not if we're successful in bringing them back? And let me tell you, coming to church 
is not just the proof that someone is obeying God in someone's profession of faith. There are many of you, and there are many people across America and the world who go to church because that's just what you do. So how do you know? Simple. They respond to the gospel by repenting and confessing their sin and putting their trust in the works of Christ. And get this last one. And pursue holiness. And this is what's missing in churches and Christian lives today. Is we are no longer pursuing holiness. Peter quotes the Old Testament when he says, Be ye holy as I am holy. For God is holy. Not that you and I can attain any type of holiness of our own, but yet he says, here's how you come into my image. It's a partnership between God and I. Earlier in James 1.18, James had wrote, Of his own will, speaking of God, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, we ought to be bearing fruit. There ought to be proof that we've been brought from God, drawn by Him, regenerated and converted. A true believer may struggle from time to time in his obedience, but still he seeks holiness. He pursues it at all cost. There's no perfection in the Christian life. There's no Christian who has it all together. There's no Christian who does not still battle that old body of flesh. We're still pursuing holiness. We don't make friends with it. We don't sit there and pet the barking dog of Satan on the head as he's telling us, come play with me, come play with me. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Again, here's another sign of those who are true or not. Those who become part of the church are those who oppose the things of the church. And so I challenge you here this morning. Are you opposing the work of the church? Are you opposing the work of Christ? It can be in the very fact in which you say, you know what, I don't want to listen. The pastor can't teach me anything. Or you know what, I don't need the Sunday school teaching. Or I don't need anyone else. I have it all within me. I, I'll do my own thing. You haven't submitted to, the, to the, the eldership of the church. You haven't come together and covenanted with one another. Let me challenge you. It's not scripture. It's not biblical. But let me also say this is where the gospel comes in to cover us with God's wonderful grace. For we all falter and we all fail. This passage is not saying that the Christian must be perfect, but we must not allow those that profess Christ to wander from the truth. Now I will say that there will be some with all of the work and all of the prayer that we attend to it, there will be some who will not respond to our endeavors to bring them back. But yet we are still to strive to do so. I don't think biblically there's ever a time where we just give up on someone. 
Even when they've come and they've totally rejected God's word and they deny the faith, our prayer should be, Lord, bring them back. Open their hearts to the truth. For everyone who comes into our sphere of influence is a God-ordained person and moment to speak into their lives. And let me tell you, I think this is the strength of community. This is where I want to get us to, the strength of a covenant community. Hence why I encourage you to be part of the church, to join with us, to hold hands, to hold on the rope together. Because the strength of a covenant community, as you look on the screen, is we see that there's two parts. There's God's part and there's our part in staying together, of hanging on to the rope, of not being a wanderer. Philippians 1.6, we have this promise of God's part. He says, he who began a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. We have this trust. We have this promise. So those who begin to wander, we must come and say, listen, has God begun a good work? And they may say, yes. They'll say, well, God will complete it, but you must be part of it. You must be involved. You must obey. Romans 8.30, we call this the golden chain, where he says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he will also glorify. What a great promise. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3, and then 8 and 9, where he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, amen, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, and Jesus Christ our Lord. What does that give us? Is we recognize when you and I are reaching out to those that are wandering, that God will bring back those who truly are his children. There will be some that we will not be successful, but praise God, there will be many that God will bring back. For every Christian will have that trial and those tribulations and those times where life begins to be difficult and they begin to wander from the truth. Or as rebellious children, they still want to say, but wait a second, I don't want to give this up. Or this truth is too hard to obey. And let me tell you, the scripture has many truths, many commands that are difficult for you and I to do. God says that he's faithful, who will give us the strength to accomplish that which he created us for. So that's God's part. He's faithful. He's going to preserve us. He's going to bring us back in. But then we see the church's part. Knowing that God is going to do this, then here's what you and I need to do. We see this now in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Well, that right there uh, takes away most of the churches in America. We just struggle with just being quarrelsome. But he says, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? Gentleness. God, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So what's our goal? Is we cannot be quarrelsome. We cannot be fighting for, for different agendas and different patterns or different ways of saying, well, this is my territory. 
and I'm going to defend it. We're to be gentle. We need to be willing to teach, be able to reach out. Galatians 6.1, we went over this not too long ago. You guys are familiar with this. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Too often, we approach these wanderers with yelling and threats of violence, almost taking them by the neck and shaking them. It's to no avail. It says with the spirit of gentleness. See, you and I need to learn to confront. That's what the Bible is saying is we should not allow a Christian brother either to lead the church or even to lead lives that are contrary to the Word of God. We need to confront them in their sin. Why? Because it's good for the individual. It's good for the church. It's good for the unbeliever. And it's good for the glory of Christ. That's why we confront. As we go to the next second slide over there, guys, is what happens if you and I ignore the confronting? What if we just say, you know what, I just don't want to get involved. You know, this is just too terrible for me. What happens if we just ignore them? Well, sin will undermine the regenerate. Others will see and say, well, I guess it's okay to be living this way. It's okay to disobey the word of God. It's okay to ignore it. The sin will undermine the church holiness. And the church will begin to look like the world. And we see churches now that are caving in to the homosexual agenda, to to women preachers and to all sorts of different things in which God says it should not be so. We live today with churches where it's okay if you're living together and sleeping together unmarried that the people say, "Well, well, you probably shouldn't do that, but... God's word says that these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. We become churches that are actually silent when it comes to matters of divorce. We just don't want to confront. But it undermines the church holiness. And no longer are we salt and light. And as you see the third one, it undermines the spiritual zeal and devotion of God's people, as we just do the bare minimum that we think that we need to do. We've taken the attitude, well, if it's good enough for government work, it's good enough for church work. It's good enough for my eternal life. I'll go to the church, a few few bucks in in the plate, and every once attend an event or so, And if I'm cornered at the office, I'll admit that I go to a church. But it's non-denominational. But we must confront. To not confront a believer or one who claims to be a believer is to abandon Christ. Paul writes that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And let me tell you, speaking the truth in love, there are some of you here today that I am concerned about your eternal destiny. You proclaim Christ. You proclaim oppression. You may be members of the church, but yet your lifestyle is in denial of what God's commands are. And I'm not here going to go through a list or a litany of those things. 
for many of those things, sometimes can be, can be wrapped up in preferences and traditions. But we know God's word is clear. God's word is true. And in it pertains all things that lead to godliness and to holiness. So let me tell you, when you're making the decisions in your life, when you're choosing these things, isn't informed by the word of God. If not, my concern and worry is that you're wandering from the faith. Your profession of faith may be loud and clear through the ears, but through the heart, it's nothing but crumbling sand. You may ask, well, Rob, when do I confront? What if I think of a brother or a sister? I see something going on in their life, and I'm just not sure what to do. The simple way that I can answer that is when sin is outward, when sin is serious, and when the sin is unrepentant, then we need to confront. And there are ways in which the church is called to do that, but I believe there's also a way in which it doesn't always have to lead up to an elder. If it leads up to the elder and to the church discipline, it's gone too far. For the body of Christ is not policing their own. And I know we don't like that term policing. But we're not caring for each other. We're allowing each other just to drift apart. There's no provoking each other to good works and to holiness. Scripture calls us to do this though lovingly while firmly and with grace. It is not to be based on vengeance or condemning or looking to get back at someone, but to help us to grow to be more like Christ. We are not a religion that will cut off your head or your hands. We are not a religion that believes you ought to shun someone and not have anything to do with them, but to lovingly embrace them and say, come back. Here's the word of God. God is calling there's an old hymn, bring them in, bring them in from the fields of sin. Bring the wanderer back to Jesus. What a great hymn. So let me ask you, are you right now in the business of bringing others back to Christ? Are you yourself someone who needs to be brought back? Are you involved in the lives of others? If there was a Christian brother and sister that you were shaking hands and, and, and hugging earlier in this service, do you know what's going on in their lives? Do you know if they're struggling? Would you even be aware if someone was straying from the faith? If they weren't here for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, would we even notice? Would we even care? Why do we hesitate to do this? It's clear the Bible tells us to do so, but why do we hesitate? I'm going to end with this. The reason that you and I hesitate is mainly because we're afraid of confrontation. Not many of us like. Some of you may be good at it. Um, some of you may have, uh, is it something that's part of your DNA? But for the most of us, con confrontation is very difficult. But we need to get past that. Lives are at stake. Eternity is at stake. Maybe we hesitate because we're afraid of falling into it too. We may think that sin is contagious and if they fall into it, then we're going to fall into it also. Maybe I think the most is we just don't want to get involved. 
But sadly, I think reason why many of us don't get involved and do not become involved in doing this is because simply we don't care. We don't care. Doesn't have anything to do with me. As long as it doesn't affect my life. As long as it doesn't affect what I'm doing, I really don't care. Jesus looked at the crowd and had compassion. You and I look and say, oh, trouble. Man, I'm glad they're gone. Man, they were just so much trouble. Or instead of praying, we use gossip. And lastly, I believe the reason why many of us hesitate is not only because we don't care, but because in reality, we don't hate sin. We do not see the destruction that sin has in the lives of those around us. But each and every one of us is tainted, hurt, and broken because either of sin in our own lives or the sin of those around us. Confront. Why? Because God says, reach out to those that are wandering from the faith. Let me ask you, are you ready to do so? It's the word of God. What's your response going to be? I pray that those people that heard James's letter 2,000 years ago looked among the crowd and said, I'm going to love that person. I'm going to help that person. I'm going to confront that person. Their eternal soul is too valuable to let them wander from the truth. But on the other hand, are you one of the ones here today that's made a profession of faith, but you're wandering? You may still be here, but your heart is far, far away. And your Monday through Saturday is filled with hellish living and hellish thoughts. And you just kind of do your little pious work on Sunday, waiting to get out so you can get back to your life. If you are, come back. Come back. Come back. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to take a time of reflection. Maybe you want to take several notes on your, on your back of your bulletin of what you've learned today. The question I want you to think about for just a moment is how is God asking you to respond this morning to his word and to his truth? Father, hear our cry. Lord, strike the, the pride in our hearts, the fear in our hearts. Lord, the do not care part of our heart. Lord, let us love. Let us care for those that are around us. Let us reach to those that are in danger, Lord, of wandering. Let us see how sin should be hated and the destruction it has in the lives of those who are involved. Let us reach out with all that we have to bring others back. Help us to care. Help us to love. And Father, I pray that you would protect us. For as your prayer says, lead me not into temptation, 
and deliver us from the evil one. For we all have the potential to walk away. Strengthen us for the battle. Help us to be steadfast. And give us your patience as we walk this road together, not alone. Praise in the name of your Son. God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.